0: Pray for quality too. We learned in yesterday on Daf Gimel about the idea of the Tosefet Shmita, the fact that the Shmita year is not only the year itself starting from Rosh Hashanah, but in the time of the Beit Hamikdash, as we're going to learn today, uh, the Shmita actually started before that. It started a, a month before that, uh, and we discussed yesterday the different views as to how that operated and what that really was. And Tosford's view that the Shemitah is extended forward and backward to incorporate some time on, on each end, uh, but this only in the time of the Temple, in the time of the Beit Dash. We had the Rambam's view that it was more a matter of um, the prohibition being not to do work at the end of the sixth year, which in fact will be enhancing and improving the field during the seventh year. And what we're looking at today is the origin of this principle. And at the end of yesterday's daf, the end of Gimelam with Aleph, we learned Halakha LeMoshem This actually is, is Halakha LeMoshem Bissinai, which uh, we've learned previously in, in one of the Matmonim, that the idea of Halachal LeMoshem Bissinai doesn't mean that we have any evidence that this particular law was given to Moshe on Mount Sinai, but this is a term that is used. Whenever something has been in practice for a very long time, uh, generation after generation, this has been done. So we know that it has authority. We know that it's authentic. We just don't have a source for it. And when we haven't got a source for it, but it's been practiced over many, many generations, we call that Halakha uh, LeMoshem um, Isinai. And here, Amaraf Asi, Amarabi Rabbi they said that there are three things in this area that we're given as Halakha LeMoshem this is... An old authority that goes all the way back to Sinai, and the three are Etiot, arava, and lishuhamain. What do those three things mean? Um, Etiot is a principle. Rashi explains it at here, and, and also in in Rosh Hashanah on on uh, uh, and also Masech the deSukkot on Daflam Lamed Dalet. The idea of Etiot was that although you're not allowed to plow the fields and water the fields, irrigate them, work them for a month before Rosh Hashanah. There are exceptions to that. And one such, such exception is young trees who have not yet given fruit. If you have 10 trees in an area of 50 ama by 50 ama, and the 10 trees are equidistant from one another, then the Halakha Lemoshim Yisinai tells us that these 10 trees draw nourishment and water from the entire field, of 50 square amah, and therefore it's important to take care of that field during the month before Shemitah, because these trees are so young and they would dry up and die, and there would be loss entailed if they weren't taken care of, and you can plow and irrigate the entire field, assuming that wherever you're working, these 10 trees are going to be getting benefit from it. That principle was given at, uh, at Sinai. in other words, that's a very, very old authority, but it's a law that we've had forever. And from that we deduce that since that's the only case that you're allowed to work on the month before uh, Shemitah starts—that's the month of Elul, the last month of the sixth year—clearly all the other uh, any other form of of agricultural work you can't do during that month. And that's the source for the um, uh, the idea of Tosefet Shemitah that there's this extra time of Shemitah. The second thing we learned uh, from Sinai was Arava, was that the uh, willow trees, the Aravot, used to be brought in the Beit HaMikdash and they used to surround the Mizbeach, the altar, with these uh, willow leaves and hamaim uh, that was a practice peculiar to the time of Sukkot. Whenever Korban Atabon, the Korban Tamit, the daily Korban, the daily uh, sacrifice was brought every morning, every evening, and it was always brought with hamaim Wine was also brought as part of that sacrifice and was poured into a container that drained down into the um, Mizbeach, uh into the altar and that was wine that used to be brought that was Nisal HaYayin on Sukkot the Korban Tamid of the morning had an additional um, liquid offering and that was water in addition to bringing wine there was also a second container uh, for the water to be poured and the Gemara tells us interestingly enough that the holes the apertures of each of these um, containers from which the liquid would drain down into the foundations of the mizbech those apertures were of different sizes because the wine was thicker than the water was. And so the aperture for the wine was a little bit bigger so that the water and the wine drained at exactly the same pace. Um, And after pouring the the liquids into these two containers on the altar, they emptied out at the same pace and at the same time. Um, So this practice of bringing water together with wine for the first, the morning Korban Tamid, during the festival of Sukkot, that's Halachal HaMoshe Misinah. Now our Gemara on Dafdaad, our page of today, Ravashi says that Rabban Gamliel and his Beit Din held, held like Rabbi Yishmael, the Amar who said Hilchita Gemirila, that this law of tosefet Shemitah that you've got to add on an extra month for Shemitah, this is learned from Halachal HaMoshe Misinah, behi Gemiri Hilchita Bizman Shebet HaMikdash And we were told, the practice is, the way this principle was taught to us, is that it only applies during the time that the temple exists. And the Gemara explains, just as this other principle that we learned from from Sinai, this other very old authoritative principle of pouring water on the Mizbah on the morning of the Korban Tamid every day of Sukkot, that principle also is only during the time that Besamekdash exists. So this is packaged together in the same way as Hamayim can only take place when we have a temple, so also this law of the extension of Shemitah by one month only applies when we have a temple, which is quite difficult to understand um, either way, but according to Tosfot and according to the Rambam, if we go that according to Tosfot, that the idea is that the Shemitah was extended for one month, then why only during the time of the Beit HaMikdash? And if we go like the Rambam, that the that the prohibition was that you shouldn't in the last month of the year do things which are preparing the the the, the land, the fields for the next year for the year of Shemitah, uh, then once again, why is this restricted to the time of the Beit Hamikdash? If we have Shemitah today, and according to most, we can we can, even can have Shemitah de'araisa today, we can have uh, real Shemitah laws according to the Torah. In that case, why would the law of Tosefet Shemitah not apply? Simply because we can't bring Nisukhamayim, we don't do the practice of the water offering on Sukkot. What is the connection between the two? Toswet says it's just because they're packaged together. Because he says, If these principles were given on Sinai together, these three principles were packaged as one lesson, And the lesson meant you you, you do Aravot, you bring the willows around the the Mizbah and you do the water offering and you have tosefet Shvit, you have this extra month of of Shvit. They were all given together, surely it was done so. The Torah puts them together in order to learn one from the other, that there are certain principles that apply uh, across all of these three ideas. And and that also is quite difficult to understand because then why not use the arava as the the one from which we learn the arava also was only brought during the time the temple was 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 there why does the gemara specify we learn this from nisu it seems that it's more than just the package of the packaging of these three principles together but that there's something similar there's some common denominator there's some underlying common principle between the idea of nisu of bringing water as part of the sacrifice in Sukkot, and the idea of this extension of shmita, what could that linkage be? What could the pattern be that links these two ideas together? It's interesting that Rashi on Daf Lamed David, and Sukkah, the Bach brings him on our page and says Rashi says that the, the, these three were not packaged together. These three ideas just happened to have been studied in the, in the Beit Hamedrash. at that time. People were asking questions about them and they were dealt with at the same time because the question was being asked, what is their origin? What is the source? Where does the authentic authentic authority come from about these three concepts? Um, the, the law of extension of Schmitter, the law of the arava on Sukkot around the bet around the bisevach and the idea of the water offering—they were just discussed together, but they weren't necessarily given as one package to to Moshe at Sinai. That that isn't so, says Rashi. That makes the question even more so. So, what are we actually learning from Lissu Chamaim? But if we look back at a at a, a that we learned in Rosh Hashanah, Daf Zayin, Aleph, where the Gemara brought the the the, the, Bryce, the Bryce is. The Tosefta is Mishnaic material that wasn't actually included in the Mishnah, but it's from that period of time and has enormous authority. And the Tosefta says when we play, Why does the Torah tell us to bring a water offering only on Sukkot? What is special about Sukkot that requires a water a water offering? As if it says to us, Bring a water offering to me on, on Sukkot. Shiyit barchu lachem shana In order that the rains of the year should be blessed, Sukkot is a time where Hashem is judging us for rain, and the winter rains begin right after Sukkot. And so the Nisuchai Hamayim, the bringing of the water, as one of the sacrifices or as part of the Korban Tamid of the morning uh, at the at the temple during Sukkot, is a way of appealing to Hashem that the rain that is going to come to us should be kishmei bracha, should be rains of blessing. And we've talked about this before, that um, particularly with a relationship to rain, but it doesn't only apply to rain. That, that when we pray for something, when we ask for something, when Hashem gives us something, it's not just about the quantity. The quality is equally important. So we can pray for rain and Hashem can give us rain. But we ask that it should be, it should be rain for blessing and not rain for curse. There can be rains that cause flooding, that cause death, that cause damage and destruction. It's not good enough just to ask for rain. We've got to ask for high quality rain. And we could get rain at the wrong times and in the wrong places. But high quality rain means just the right amount of rain in the right places at the right time. And it's that with everything in life. We can have all sorts of things, but what's important is to have the right amount, in the right time, at the right place. Uh, and so it is, if we pray to Hashem for Paranassah, we pray to Hashem for, we pray to Hashem for uh, our living, for, for our financial prosperity. It's not just to pray for prosperity. One can have a lot of prosperity and it all has to get spent, God forbid, on, bid on medical expenses. One can have a lot of prosperity, but to, in order to earn it, one has to be working so hard that one has no time to enjoy one's family, that one has no time to serve Hashem and to learn the Torah. Those are cases where the paranasah is not libracha; it's not blessed paranasah, it's not bre- blessed prosperity. So when we daven, when we ask Hashem for prosperity, just as we do with rain, it should be li we should be asking for blessed prosperity. When we say in the Shuan Essa, we ask Hashem for intelligence. We say, You God, give us from you intelligence. We don't want just general intelligence. We're not just asking for the volume of intelligence that make us smart. We're asking for qualitative intelligence. Godly, divine intelligence is what we want. And so it is with health. We want health, which is quality health. And we want all the things that we want. We want to be high quality. It's not only about the quantity. We want enough of it, but we want enough of the right thing in the right time, at the right place. And that's why we bring hamayim. That's why we bring the sacrifice of water to appeal to Hashem that the rains that are about to come should be high quality rains, rains of blessing. That being the case, it makes more sense why to demonstrate our trust that Hashem will give us not only rain, but high quality rain, we stop working the fields a month before the Shmita. You know how it is when, when a fast is coming, Tisha B'avah or Yom Kippur, you kind of eat until the last minute and you have another glass of water just before the fast comes in uh, because you want to be sure that you, you know, you're well, well-nourished until the last minute. But if you stop an hour or two before the fast comes in, that demonstrates confidence. You know It's going to be fine. It's going to be all right. So it is for Shmita. In normal years, like in our times, where we don't have the Nisachim, so we have no guarantee that the quality of the agriculture is going to be good. Even if Hashem gives us rain, we have no guarantee that it's going to be high-quality rain. So in that case, we work until the last minute, so we don't leave anything to chance, we don't leave anything to miracle. But in the time of the Temple, in the time of the Beta Mikdash, when we do Nisuch HaMayim, uh, we appeal to Hashem and we trust that Hashem will give us high-quality rain, and therefore high-quality agriculture, and we're comfortable stopping working the fields even a month before the Shemitah starts. We're not worried or concerned about that. So, yes, these three ideas, whether they were given together, as Toswit says, or they weren't given together, as Rashi says, but there's clearly a linkage between the Nisukhamayim particularly and the law of Tosefet Shemitah, that from Nisukhamayim we get quality of prosperity, And the Tasseffit Schmitter giving away an extra month to the Schmitter is a demonstration of our confidence and trust in that quality of agriculture and of prosperity.